Pink Midnight. Pink Midnight. Pink Midnight. Okay, darling. We've got a nice quiet room. We get a good night's sleep. I guess they lost the way. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pink Midnight. This uh, on this episode, we're going to be taking a look at a movie called Devil Story. Devil Story. Uh, this was released recently by Vinegar Syndrome, who did a uh, really nice restoration. The colors look very vibrant, uh, very painterly compositions. It really makes a big difference with this film because in some of the extras, they have uh, little quotations, little uh, segments from other versions of the film, and it just looks so flat and muddy and blurry um, that you know, given some of the film's other issues uh, would have dampened one's appreciation of it even more. Uh, but I I found myself liking this film more and more the more I watched. I did watch it three times. Uh, and, you know, it has a really cool slipcover that they redid. It has the central monster featured in the on the slipcover who was actually played by the director's son. Now, the director's son also played... Uh, the mummy character who has a good deal of screen time and they're both not terribly ominous but almost dreamlike in the way that they move. They're very kind of ethereal in their movements and very uh, mysterious in terms of their presences. Not necessarily threatening but kind of omnipresent, kind of pervasive and also lingering like maybe a fading nightmare. Uh, so the slipcover and the cover of the Blu-ray are pretty much identical, uh, with the cover, the uh, slipcover looking a little bit more beautiful. You have the central monster, like I said, wearing an SS jacket, and they mention that he's also wearing an American shirt, some kind of American shirt. I wasn't able to really pick that out in terms of what they meant by that. But he's got, you know, a fairly misshapen face. Uh, there's a bunch of flames coming out of him. He does get burned alive. Um, he's holding a gigantic gun uh, in the uh, on the cover, and it's extremely cartoonish, very catching, very catching font too. It just says "Devil Story," and like I said, it has the flames. And then on the back, it says "Un film de Bernard Lanois," uh, and there's a woman running away from the mummy character. And the mummy, there's a slight stain of green. I don't know if it's supposed to be blood or slime, but he does drool a bunch of green or blue slime at one point, which apparently was yogurt. Uh, they pointed out in one of the extras. And, you know, the central uh, female character is running from him, like I said, with kind of a yellow raincoat also surrounded by flames. I don't think there's ever a scene with the mummy um, with flames, although I could be remembering it inaccurately but this film during one of the extras the lead actress did say that it ruined her career as a 
dramatic artist. And, you know, she was hugely embarrassed. She regretted being involved with it. She was hugely embarrassed. She tried to suppress the film. She tried to get the film stopped from being seen at certain theaters. And she was just strongly against it and regrets deeply her involvement with the film. Uh, but I think it's a remarkable film, very unique. Um, and during one of the extras, Frank Helen Hodder, the director of, you know, Basket Case said, it's not necessarily um, about whether it's good or bad, but just that it's different. And I like that way of looking at it. Uh, there's so many, you know, podcasts and writings about underground movies and kind of out there cinema that usually take the ironic approach where you hear a lot of laughter, a lot of jokes, almost like mean-spiritedly pointing out film's flaws. And I don't really like that approach. And that's not the approach I take to these films. I take um, a much different approach. I see it as a different way of looking at things, maybe a riskier endeavor. And Frank Helen Hodder also points out that, you know, the, really, the truly bad films are the mediocre films, the big superhero films, or just the extremely formulaic Hollywood films. While they are slick, they're just, uh, you know, as if they're directed by a computer or made by a computer or made by an automaton, uh, made by just a formula, a winning formula. So they're just so bland. You know, I've seen a lot of those types of films and they just leave you kind of empty. Unlike this film where it kind of keeps you guessing, keeps you wondering, even after a third viewing, I'm still curious about returning to it. And, you know, the great thing about doing a bod podcast about a film is you do feel a lot closer to it after you put it back on the shelf. Like it's uh, some sort of memory or so you, you form some attachment to it in a way because you've poured part of your life into it. You've poured part of your life thinking about it. You know, even seeing a film three times, how many films have you really seen, you know, more than once? So spending a little bit of extra time with a film, part of your life with a film, I think is really meaningful. So, Devil's Story, let's talk about just a basic synopsis. I'll just read the back cover for you real quick. A young couple on vacation in the French countryside decide to stay the night at a spooky old castle after their car breaks down. Despite being warned about the local legend of a cursed ship which crashed into the nearby cliffs, the wife ventures out into the wild, only to find herself having to fend off a Nazi uniform mutant, his gypsy mother, a rogue mummy, a horse possessed by the devil, and more. Without a doubt, one of the strangest horror films ever made in France, Bernard Lenoir's Devil Story, or Once Upon a Time, The Devil, is a mind-melting and almost indescribable, heavily gore-fueled fever dream, barely seen outside of its native country, but more than deserving of its growing cult following, prepare to forget everything you thought you knew about weird world cinema as you experience Devil Story, newly restored in 4K from its 35mm original camera negative, and loaded with both new and archival extras and, in and interviews, and on disc from Vinegar Syndrome in the English-speaking world for the first time. So there is a French version and an English dub version. Now, in one of the extras, they mention how the dubbing was so good in the film that it was actually better than the film itself, and the dubbing should sort of have one sort of won some sort of award. I do actually prefer the dub version, which I almost never do. I'm not sure why exactly. It just it seemed like a stronger film, although that was my third viewing is the one that I watched with the dubbing. So it could just be, you know, me growing cl closer to the film or trying or kind of figuring it out more. It's sort of like a a dream without a within a dream sort of narrative flow. I'm not sure, but the dubbing does work well. It's not like glaring or 
um, you know, kind of obnoxious or silly. It just, it, it is, it seemed like the, the dubbing actors did take this task seriously and did bring it its own kind of life. Um, although, you know, the performances are fun too in the French. I mean, maybe it's that the French and the French performances are a little bit over the top, whereas the dubbing are a little bit more subtle, a little bit more restrained. And that sort of balances the oddness of the images and the oddness of the structure a bit better. I'm not sure. Uh, special features. This, this does have some really great ones. Uh, so we got the newly scanned and restored in 4K from its 35 original camera negative. It does look beautiful. I don't think you could hope for a better looking presentation of this film. Uh, it's presented in both, like I said, the French and English. Uh, there's also a Once Upon a Time, The Devil Story, making a featurette with the cast and crew. And that was, I, I made a couple references to it. I'll uh, bring it up a little bit more when I talk about some of my notes about that. But uh, that does have some great anecdotes about the filming. Pretty much in every single uh, featurette and extra, there are sort of some repeated uh, details and memories about the film, including the fact that um, the uh, this, this French actor who considered himself better than Jean Gabin uh, he was, you know, drinking a lot and he was having trouble shooting the gun and saying his lines at the same time. That's something that they, they keep bringing up. And the fact that he was drinking very, very heavily during the making and he wasn't just pretending to drink, he was actually drinking. Uh, and he does, there, there is a, a lot of sort of aimless scenes of him shooting at nothing. And he's sort of trying to shoot at this phantom or devil horse, although they were, you know, there is an actual horse there and they do share some screen time, but not much. It's mostly him sort of spinning in circles in a field while the horse continues to neigh. There's a lot of neighing. So if you don't like the sound of a horse neighing, you might want to stay away from this film because that does that is a very prevalent sound. Also some weird disembodied growls from the central monster monster character. You're going to hear a lot of those, a lot of screams too. A real whole lot of screaming is going on in this film. Uh, then you got uh, Once Upon a Time Bernard, a brand new interview with writer-director Bernard Lanois. And he goes into a lot of his other films. He did a lot of comedies prior to this film. Uh, some sort of odd French, uh, you know, kind of uh, police comedy. Uh, comedies almost seem like a French police academy or something like that. I never heard of those films, that, that his, his earlier films. And then he'd done some kind of exploitation films too early on in like the, the early part of his career that looked, looked kind of interesting. Uh, I haven't seen any of those though. Select scenes with commentary by the director. Uh, again, he, take, he kind of repeats a lot of the same anecdotes that he uses in the other documentaries, but still we're seeing. And you know he has a good sense of humor about it. It's interesting in one of the other extras in the French TV coverage, which is also some of that appears in the, uh, the making of featurette. He kind of arrogantly says, "You know, we're gonna. This is gonna. We're gonna beat the Americans at their own game. This is gonna scare the Americans. This is gonna surpass the Americans. You know, the French invented cinema. This is gonna be the best horror movie of all time. And you know, a lot of there's a lot of people that consider this among like the worst. I, I wouldn't consider it that at all. One of the worst, but uh, you know, it doesn't have a reputation as being um, a classic piece of horror cinema. It's more like a." more like an oddity, a curiosity. But, uh, you know, I think, it's, I think it's more than that even, too. I think it's a worthwhile experience, definitely. And I, I'm, I'm happy to have spent time with it. 
Then there's an original trailer, which is pretty well done. Kind of long, though. Surprisingly long. Maybe like four or five minutes. So it seems unlikely that... I mean, it seems weird. I I can't really think of instances where they would show a trailer that long. Um, And yeah, that's pretty much all the extras you're getting, which are definitely worth checking out. So go into my notes and uh, kind of other reflections, observations about the film now. So double story. This is kind of some notes based on the first viewing here. So the blood pumps slowly. The breathing is regular. Uh, There's a couple kills early on where the blood is just really, really slowly pumping from people's bodies, and they're obviously breathing as well. So it kind of creates an odd effect. But it's moving very slowly too. Something very unnatural about it and curious about it. Uh, The bullets seem to dream never having the attended effect on victims. I married you because of your hands. What if everyone in the world ran out of gas, got a flat tire, and got stranded in the middle of nowhere during a storm at the same time? Engulfed by the moon, black stallions sleep in the mountains after midnight. A haunted ship crawls from a mountain to the distress of the black stallion to trip and fall in a shallow grave as if longing for earth. The parade of a solitary white mummy one who never knew the existence of any other. Disembodied voices, dreamy actions. The fit white mummy, blue vomit, those tragic eyes. Trash Humpers? This was a film I thought about during the first viewing. Trash Humpers, that film by Harmony Kareen, which has these sort of monstrous characters, not even really having dialogue, just making weird grunting sounds and doing these odd, indescribable things um, in kind of mundane uh, scenarios, which uh, is very otherworldly and cool if you haven't seen it, Trash Humpers, uh, shot on video. You may try to shout, um, you may try to shoot a horse in circles, but you will never eclipse the Black Stallion. Okay, so here's, you know, some notes on some of the extras, like the featurette where Helen Holler uh, talks, he mentions, um, you know, bad films or mediocre films, I already brought up that point, and the fact that Devil Story is unlike anything else, whether good or bad. Really love that point that he makes. Apparently there was more than one her- horse during the filming, but one of the horses actually ran away during the infamous horse shooting scene, which uh, the director admits was filmed mainly to pad out the film. He shot the film and it was about 55 minutes long. And he needed more, more footage. It wasn't going to be released in the theater at 55 minutes long. So he had to go back and shoot all this extra scenes to kind of draw it out, which adds a very odd quality to it, I would say. Uh, The lead actress talks about finding the perfect wig for her alternate character, but then how the director, you know, said, oh, that wig's too expensive. So we just bought another wig. The wig was five times too big. And she wears this other wig and she almost looks like she has kind of like an Egyptian, like kind of Cleopatra-esque uh, haircut, you know, sort of re- uh, reminiscent of some of those old cave paintings or hieroglyphics or something. Her her, her hair is huge. Um, and yes, this did end her career as an actress. She sees this film as a very tragic, horribly tragic experience. She's flipping through her memorabilia from the film, and then it kind of goes in slow motion uh, all, all over all these empty pages. So this was her one and only film role. She became the director of something at 25, she mentioned. So seems like she, you know, uh, she did well for herself. She looked beautiful. I'm not sure how old she was, but she still looked very pretty. 
Uh, and so here's some notes about the, some of the commentary on the scenes by the director. They actually did use real blood and real knives. And he mentions that the killer wears an SS jacket with an American shirt underneath. This is the monstrous kill, uh, killer. Apparently there was also a cat that ran away during the shooting. Um, there were sentries then posted so the cat wouldn't run away again because the cat is very, fairly heavily featured in the film as well. I'm guessing this was some of the other shots that they used to pad it out. Again, that is yogurt falling from the mummy's mouth in case you were wondering. Um, and yes, the man shooting the gun did drink a lot during the shoot. He polished off the bottle in that one scene that he has um, it drinking and he's playing with the knife in his boot. Uh, the French TV uh, coverage tone is very uh, kind of condescending to the film as well, which was, you know, just something to think about. All right, and the third viewing of the film, this was the English dub version. Uh, So the monstrous figure emerges triumphant from the tent. He's growling. He's reborn. Uh, He also gets part of the tent stuck to his leg, which apparently was unintentional. He starts dragging the tent around. And I remember when I first put the film on, the image made me really uh, excited, and I I immediately knew I was going to have fun because this was a very uh, rough around the edges pro- project, but also very something very vibrant about it and something very odd about it. Especially, uh, you know, kind of how his voice and growling seems disembodied from the image somehow. It sounds like an overdub, but it has an odd quality because it almost matches, but it just doesn't quite match. And then there's the delicate bleeding and breathing on his white pleated shirt. There's this wet kind of white shirt that is then soaked in actual blood. Something kind of uh, haunting about that image. Then there's um, there's a woman who is uh, one of the first killer's victims who's punched in the back of her head. And apparently she was uh, played by, I think, one of the camera technicians who had to act in the film to kind of pad out you know, this, the running time. Then there's some synthetic horn music. Oh, that was one of the captions. Yeah, there, there, there's this synthetic horn music throughout, strange music. Uh, the horse in the field is psychically recognizes the discordance between mind and body. Tires blow, gas gets lost, cats watch. Yellow lightning strikes in the middle of a rocky field. Uh, the cat brings forth undead memories from a doomed past life, punishing the blood in her veins. A horse neighs, gives birth to a ship, a horse's legend. A slow kick to the face by a horse, buried alive too deliberately. I will topple stone walls with my pain, impaled by a deliberate fence at the end of a fake escape. Since the mummy and monster were both played by the director's son, they could not be in the same scene together. The weird dance of the hope at the monster when the TV crew is there. Is every horror film a dancing run punctuated by falls? To carefully squeeze out the guts with the lacy mummy feet. That was the last note I had. So that's pretty much all I have for the film this week, uh, Double Story. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Pink Midnight, and I hope you join us again. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Pink Midnight. We hope you have enjoyed your stay in this haunted hotel, in this abandoned palace, in this opulent field of nowhere grass.